друзья. Доброе утро. Привет. Как дела? Как дела, мой друг? Хорошо? Да, хорошо? Это правда? Хорошо? So one of the things that has been both a blessing and a curse to me over the years is my ability to imitate accents. Is I can get away with doing an accent and even imitation with a few vocabulary words, which is great opening doors, which is terrible when people start asking you questions back in that language. Because what I just performed for you was about all the Russian that I know. Now I can do that little bit very well. But beyond that, I'm lost. And it's kind of like that with me. I'm, I'm good at accents, but I'm horrible at grammar and vocabulary. I'm good at a quick adaptation of mannerisms or cultural things But when you start to get into the, the meaning behind it or the depth of it, I'm lost. And because I can perform or parrot pretty well on a superficial level, there comes an expectation that I really know what I'm talking about, that I really know what I'm saying. Most of the time, I have no idea. I don't. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think all of us struggle in various situations. It may not be languages, it may be social situations or work situations where we can, where we can fake it, where we can fake it just enough where people make assumptions about us that we know what we're doing when we really don't. I would dare say that there may be no place where this is more evident than right here at church that all of us, to one degree or another, kind of pick up the church accent. We kind of we learn the, the ways that we do things. We kind of learn how to move through the church culture. And we can parrot that pretty easily. Like we can fake it. But if we were to scratch below the surface, If we were really to, to say, do you know why we do this? Do you know the meaning behind it? Do you know the significance of it? Do you know where we got this from? That, that feeling of being found out for kind of being a fraud, kind of feeling like you're dumb when you should know something, you know that feeling that just raises up, kind of comes from your stomach and comes up into your chest? That we would feel that. I know I have with that. But I think there's a way through that. And I think today we are presented in our text with the opportunity to kind of expose that veneer and learn how to really grapple deeply with what's underneath. So pray with me if you would. Here we are again. Not just us, Grace Church, but here we are, your church. Jesus, 2,000 years of Sundays, and we're meeting again. You'd think we'd have it figured out by now. <laughs> you'd think after 2,000 years and generations, libraries and seminaries, universities and civilizations, 
built with Christian lingo and Christian words and Christian ideas that, that we'd be further along than we are. And we praise you for what has happened, for what you have done. It's not insignificant. But we also recognize that there is much left. There is much that has been misunderstood or ignored. And Jesus, we just want to know. We want to know. And we want to be changed. So help us as we study today to understand this. Amen. Last week, Mel Murray gave a fantastic talk on the role of the Holy Spirit through the life of Stephen. We're following through with that idea now. Um, she, she referenced a text in Acts where the apostles appointed deacons to serve, and then all of a sudden in the text we see these deacons going out and doing these miracles, these miraculous things. Well, Philip was one of those. And Stephen had been stoned. Persecution was increasing in the church. And Philip is led by the Spirit to go up to an area in Samaria. And there's this great revival that takes place. And you would think he would stay put where things are good. But instead, an angel, it says an angel of the Lord comes to him and sends him down to this desert road. And if you want to follow along, this is in Acts 8, starting at verse 26. It says, then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And it, it, we need to clarify here which Philip, because there is a Philip who is one of the original 12 disciples. Some people think that this may be, but most evidence gives that this is the Philip who is appointed a deacon earlier in Acts, a, a Greek believer. So a different Philip than the apostle. But what we see, whether he's an the original apostle or another person is, is a repetition of themes that we see constantly in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord is leading people into desert places. Obviously, we think about the temptation in the wilderness, but throughout the text, throughout the Bible, God, we see the Spirit kicking people out or calling people into the desert. And here is evidence of another one. And it says, so he got up and went. And there he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a court, an official of the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, sitting in his chariot, chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, who, so who is this guy? First of all, don't think Ethiopia like the country of Ethiopia. There was no Ethiopia country at this time. If I told you, if I told you, hey, I'm next week I'm going to Timbuktu, where would you think that I was going? Would you think I was going to the literal place in Africa, the city of Timbuktu? Or would you think, oh, you're going pretty far away? Probably the latter, right? It's a euphemism, it's a way of saying, when we say, man, that's in Timbuktu, that's like the farthest you can go. Ethiopia was the same thing in this context. If you said, man, I, this is going to take me all the way to Ethiopia, that literally meant that's going to take you to the ends of the world. South of Egypt was as far as this people writing in this context had ever explored or known of, and Ethiopia just meant someone from the edge of the earth with that. And that's important for us here. 
That's important for us that immediately we see when Jesus gives the Great Commission and he says, go into the ends of all the earth, we start to see that fulfilled almost immediately in the context of this people. Is that here was someone literally from the ends of the earth as, as they understood it. And it said he was an official in the court of Candace. Candace is probably not a name like someone's name is probably a position within that, saying that he was, he was in charge. He, was, he had gone up to Jerusalem. We don't know if he was on official business and then stayed there to worship or he actually went there for the sole purpose of worshiping. But whichever way, we know he wouldn't have been a, full, he wouldn't have been a full-fledged Jew for a couple reasons. One was his, where he was from. The other is his condition as a eunuch. Those things would have prevented him from being fully accepted. Now, there was a place in the temple for people like this to worship. And, and there's some argument, and there's some uh, wrangling over what this really means. Some people say there was a sect of people called God-fearers who abided by the Jewish text, the Mosaic laws, but weren't fully accepted. Other people think, well, he, he could be some sort of hybrid, kind of like the Samaritans. With, a, with Jewish lineage also, but mixed in with local culture, which again would have made him unacceptable as a full Jew. But whatever, whatever we see, he is eagerly seeking the God of Israel. He's eagerly seeking to worship the God of Israel so much that he makes a significant journey to Jerusalem and is taking back with him Scripture. Now again, we are so used to having Scripture available, books on Scripture, Scripture apps, Scripture websites, Scripture on audio. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't swing a dead cat and not hit a Bible, right? A few of you got that. Not so at this time. The Torah, the text, would have been very expensive to have and limited only to a few scholars. So that not only is this person making a significant journey in order to, to worship and to be obedient, he's also investing significant resources in continuing that. Let's continue with the text. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to it, and he heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Normally in our conversation, there is one idea or sentence that's, that really just sticks out. Jane and I have been in professional vocational ministry for over 30 years. Jane will tell you she's more spiritual than I am because she, she was there first. There's other reasons why that's true as well. I've spent significant times studying Scripture, going to school to study Scripture, studying with other people who studied Scriptures. And I still, I still have to ask this question, do I know what I'm reading? I'm very quick to make assumptions. I'm very quick to pass over things, just assuming that I know. Or coming to a scripture that I know people have wrangled with for years and just assuming that I can't know. Just making an assumption, well, just nobody knows. And then, so not investing the energy. 
and asking, what am I reading here with this? And so we constantly have to fight these extremes of overly familiar assumption on one end and just accepted ignorance on the other. Like, well, it's just too hard for me. I don't, I don't like to read. Well, I don't, nobody can know on the other. And we have to reject both of those extremes. This man did. He's an example for us because he responds in verse 31. The man replied, how in the world can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture the man was reading was this. And it comes from Isaiah 53. And I really want to encourage you as you study this week to read all of it. Start in Isaiah 52. Read Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was taken from him. Who can describe his posterity? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? Now, this is not just a matter of interpretation in the idea of, hey, what does this mean? Again, we have, to, we have to get out of our imagination a smoothly numbered page, well-printed Bible with numbers and chapters and titles. The eunuch here is reading from a, probably a scroll in Koine Greek. We don't know how the quality of it. Oftentimes, writing materials were so valuable back there Things would be written, and then later they would be scrubbed off and something new written on top. If it was papyrus, that means it was woven together. That means as you made the, the and again, because it's valuable, a valuable thing you're writing on, you're not doing it in 18-point type. It's small, it's tight. Words and, and notations get lost in the weave over time. There's no set system of grammar. Words are spelled different ways in different places. We were, as we were talking this week, you know, so much, um, James brought up so much of the, the argument or the work when you're reading an ancient manuscript is, what, what are the pronouns here? Who are they talking about? Mine or his? Theirs or ours? The differences are so subtle, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. So this is not just a, an esoteric question. The eunuch is literally like, I, I'm having trouble reading this as well as the interpretation with that. And it's interesting how Philip answers. It says, so Philip started speaking and beginning with the scripture, proclaimed the good news to him about Jesus. He didn't stop with the interpretation. You would think, you know, the, the eunuch asks one question, who is this talking about? Philip explains that, but then goes on to show how that portends for Jesus, what that means. And we've talked about this before, how our primary method of exegesis is to have a, is to have a Christological hermeneutic. We're always reading this, what does this tell us about Jesus? Not the only one we use, but it's kind of the primary one we use. And we see that because of evidence like here that the early church was doing that. They were, they were seeking to reread in a way, reinterpret their story through what had happened, this event of Jesus, this person of Jesus. Well, Philip must have done an outstanding job. 
because something happens in the eunuch. Now think about this. Here is a prestigious man. He's probably dressed in robes. He's got an entourage with him. He is a court official of a prestigious nation. He has gone all the way to Jerusalem. We can assume he didn't just start asking questions with Philip, but he's asking questions of the priests and the scholars, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jerusalem, and he leaves with more questions than answers. And Philip runs up along his chariot, sits down with him, starts explaining something happens. Something different than the encounter he had in Jerusalem happens. And this is, this is profound because the temple was where you, you went to meet God. We would expect for the revelation to come in the temple. If there was a conversion to take place, it should have been at the temple. But it's not. It's this desert road in this chariot with this stranger who runs up beside him and starts telling him about this Jesus guy. And something happens. And so what we see is then in verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, please tell me, or no, sorry, 35. So Philip started speaking, beginning scripture, proclaim the good news to him about Jesus. Now when they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there is water. What is to stop me from being baptized? There's, there's obviously so much here that Philip was telling, was explaining that we don't see, that's not included in the text. But whatever it was, the way he told him, we see the Spirit sparking this obedience in the eunuch. He understands it's not enough just to know. It's not enough just to, just to kind of understand it. He has to act on it. He has to respond to it in a tangible way. And this is the question all of us are being asked all the time is, look, if you're just here for more information, if, if we're just coming here to study this just for more information, we're not going to be transformed. It's not going to have its effect. We have to be here in order to listen so that we can respond. And so he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip was baptized, and Philip baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him anymore, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, I, I wonder if that response, if that baptismal request was necessary. I mean, why couldn't the, why, why don't we see in Scripture the eunuch say, what, do I, what must I do to be saved? And Philip saying, well, bow your head, and I'm going to lead you in this prayer of acceptance. You're going to ask Jesus into your heart, and it's going to be okay. No, there's, there's an action here. There's a tangible response that is necessitated by this encounter. And as we're looking at it this week about, you know, what are we reading? I wonder if that's what keeps us sometimes from reading deeply. 
Maybe that's a third thing. In addition to just making assumptions that we already know or just assuming that we'll never know, maybe there's an even bigger reason why we don't read deeply. Because we're scared of what it's going to tell us to do. Because we don't want to have to stop and find a muddy watering hole and be baptized in whatever context that is. We don't want to have to stop and choose immediate obedience, but we'd rather just keep it out there. We'd rather keep Scripture at arm's length. It's safer that way. We've got more control over it, we think, if we just hold it out away from us instead of asking, what am I reading? And letting it, letting the Spirit then create that response in us. Now, friends, if you're like me, you grew up in a Christian culture that said, hey, Christian life essentially is easy. Prayer is just talking to God like a friend. Obedience just means surrounding yourself with people at youth group and not hanging out with the bad people. Just hang out with the good people. Understanding the Bible is easy. Just get, get your particular version that you like, your NIV or your, you know, whichever one you want, the message, whatever you want, and just, just accept it like it, it says. And there's, listen, there's, we don't want to overly complicate things. We don't want to put up unnecessary barriers. But anyone who has really encountered the Scripture knows that there are things that we can't, that, that are tough that we can't just figure out with logic, that we can't just work our way through with online Bible study tools. We all need teachers. See, our society, we, we make icons out of the self-taught person, right? I mean, those are the heroes, those people that can just teach themselves, that just get the book, sit in the library with no teachers and figure things out. And the good student, in contrast, is, is usually portrayed as a suck-up. You know, someone who's just trying to, who can't figure it out on their own, is trying to work the system. We, we're all taught. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous way of thinking. All of us are taught by someone, and all of us need teachers. All of us have teachers, whether we recognize them or not. The question is not, are you going to be taught? The question is, who's going to teach you? The question is not, do you need teachers? The question is, which teachers are you going to follow with that? And that creates in us a humility when approaching this. I need teachers to understand the Bible. I know, I, I know I've got the microphone on today. I know I'm standing up here. I need teachers to understand this. The other thing with this is we all need a story. The eunuch went to Jerusalem looking to put himself in a story, the story of the people of Israel, even though he wasn't Israeli. He wasn't a Jew. He went looking for a story to put himself in there. The early church interpreted what Jesus had done through the story of the Old Testament. 
They were placing themselves within a story. All of us need a story to find ourselves, our true selves in. Now, the, the problem is most of us want to be the hero of the story. Most of us want to be the center of the story. Most of us want the story to revolve around us. Well, you're not the hero. I'm not the hero. We're not the hero. The hero of the story, the story of the universe, the, the, the meta story, the big story, is God, known through his son Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. We have to find ourselves in that story. If, there, if for no other reason to study deeply the word of God as we have been given it, it is to find ourselves in that story. It is only in that story where we will find true purpose, true meaning, true light, true freedom. Every other story will destroy you. Just, just let me say that again. It's hard to say because it sounds so stark, but I see it every day and it has been affirmed in my own life. Every time I try to lead a different story. I am diseased. I am imprisoned. Every other story will destroy you. There is only one story where we find life, both as individuals, as this church, Grace Church, as a people, as a race, as a planet. And that is the story given to us in Scripture. So we have to deeply apply ourselves to understand that story so that we can understand ourselves. And we've said this many times. Listen, the Bible reads me much more than I read the Bible. The more I submit myself to Scripture, the more Scripture reads me. I don't, I don't have any control over that. It's not there as some kind of just utilitarian thing for me to use to get what I want the Bible tears me up it is constantly deconstructing me it is constantly surprising me it is constantly challenging me you want to see things how they really are see them through the story of scripture you want to understand who you really are understand your life through the message of scripture that's where you will find life. That's where you will find reality with that. And then the last thing, the only way we can really hope to do this is by the power of the Spirit. Yes, we need teachers. We need, we need human teachers. We need the libraries. We need the seminaries. We need the universities. We need all those teachers. But unless they are infused, covered over by, undergirded by the power of the Spirit, it becomes just another work, just another human effort. There is always the balance, the symbiosis that we're working through between the human teachers and the spirit teachers with that. And we cannot have one without the other. We have to have both. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to end with this story. Um, the first trip Jane and I made to Belarus, it got me thinking when I was trying to remember my Russian today. Um, it was right after the walls came down. I had no training in this, but I'd, I'd read up on it, tried to learn about it, watched the movie, 
And, and if you've ever seen the movies, you know, when, when the Russians, they, they grab each other and they kiss each other, you know, on the cheeks, right? They do the big kiss thing. Well, I kind of thought that's what you did. Yeah, right. It's worth the laugh. And so I'm going in to meet with this government official, and I've seen people on the street greeting each other that way, and I'm like, okay, this is the way this thing's going to happen, right? Is this an important meeting? I'm here representing this organization. I walk in. I mean, his office was huge. It was like from here to the, it seems like in my memory, I don't know what it was in reality, like I had to walk this whole distance like to where the sound booth is, where his desk was and the big windows on the side, right? And I'm walking down. And, uh, God, it's so embarrassing. I mean, he comes around. Look, this guy had dealt with Westerners before. He was totally ready to shake my hand and everything. And literally, I come up, and as he sticks his hand out to shove it, I come in for the kiss. And he, like, hits me <laughs> in my belly with his outstretched hand, and I whiz past his ear trying to kiss him. Oh, it was just awful. It was so embarrassing. Fortunately, he laughed. I tried to laugh. But there was this assumption that I knew that I could just fake my way through it without having experienced it. And I got caught. You may have been caught. You may be sitting here and you've been caught faking your way, thinking you know, acting like you know what's going on, acting like you know what you're reading. I've been caught way more than that just that once. But you will be, all of us will be at some point. Just don't let it stop you. Dig deeply. Ask the question, what are you reading? Apply yourself. Find the teachers that you need. Everybody needs a teacher. All of us need teachers. Find yourself in the story. We all need to find ourselves in the story. And find the Spirit. All of us need the Spirit. We're going to transition now. As symbolic of this as we do every week is our coming to the table. Because we come to this table because it's received. This is what we have been given, this table of Jesus. It's open to everyone here who's seeking Jesus or who even wants to seek Jesus. And maybe today you come with that question. Jesus, what is this really about? What is this table really about? What is this church really about? What are you really about? What am I really about? Come with your questions. You don't have to have it figured out to come to this table. This table is where we come where it's been given to us. We haven't earned it. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And then take this time to prayer. Take this time to give. We take up an offering to hopefully do what we're doing better and provide for more people with that. And then worship, and Alex will close us with a benediction. But listen, I, I want to end with this. Make no mistake, I'm learning. We don't have it figured out here at Grace. We're asking the question, what are we reading? 